spent this fall semester in this book about wisdom. We are in a, the second half of this series, applying um, or, or seeing how Proverbs applies wisdom to different areas of our life. We've talked about our words, talked about friendship and family. Uh, next week, we're going to talk about work. And this week, we're going to talk about justice. And we're going to talk about our civic, our role in civic. <laughs> And public life. And so join me in Proverbs 16. I'm going to read some verses from this chapter, and then we're going to go to Proverbs 29 and try to see what this book of wisdom has to say uh, to us. So, Proverbs 16, uh, beginning in verse 7. Hear now the word of the Lord. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Better is a little righteousness, better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. An oracle is on the lips of a king. His mouth does not sin in judgment. A just balance and scales are the Lord's. All the weights in the bag are his work. It is an abomination to kings to do evil, for the throne is established by righteousness. Righteous lips are the delight of a king, and he loves him who speaks what is right. A king's wrath is a messenger of death, and a wise man will appease it. In the light of the king's face there is life, and his favor is like the clouds that bring the spring rain. How much better to get wisdom than gold, to get understanding, is to be chosen rather than silver. And now flip over to chapter 29 with me. Chapter 29, I'm just going to read some random verses here in this chapter. Chapter 29, beginning in verse 2. When the righteous increase, the people rejoice. When the wicked rule, the people groan. Verse 4. By justice, a king builds up the land, but he who exacts gifts tears it down. Verse 13 and 14. The poor man and the oppressor meet together. The Lord gives light to the eyes of both. If a king faithfully judges the poor, his throne will be established forever. And then verses 25 and 26. The fear of a man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Many seek the face of a ruler, but it is from the Lord that a man gets justice. Let's pray. Father, would you help us now? We do believe that as we gather in the name of Jesus, that you are present with us by your Holy Spirit. We believe that we are gathered around your throne with your saints this morning. And we gather needing to hear from you. And we gather trusting that you do speak by your Spirit and by your Word. And that what you say reaches into all areas of our lives, even into how we participate in our city, in our neighborhoods, in our country, uh, in this world. And so would you give us wisdom? Would you help us? Would you give us humility? Uh, Would you give us an openness in our hearts, in our eyes, and in our ears so that we can receive your words of life? And be transformed by them. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. 
I don't know if you realize this, uh, but there is an election uh, this week. <laughs> and by your pained expressions and uh, cynical laughter, uh, I, I imagine that uh, most of us in this room will just be glad for this thing to be over. But Tuesday has a lot to teach us if we will let it. Tuesday has a lot to teach us if we will let it because the ritual of participating in elections, it teaches us, it reveals to us that we do not live isolated lives. Our choices ripple with effect into the lives of other people. Into the lives of those who live in our neighborhoods, those who live in our city, those who live in our state, those who live in our country, and those who live around the world. And that truth is way bigger than just the action of voting. When you put gas in your car, when you buy groceries, when you go to work, when you take a walk around Cascades, you are participating in systems that affect the lives of people around the world. We do not live isolated lives. We live public lives. The decisions that we make about how to use our time and resources, while they may be personal decisions, they are not private decisions. They are public decisions, which is weighty. That is a weighty Responsibility, at least it should be, especially for people who are called by their king to love their neighbors as themselves. Our public lives are a weighty responsibility, and so we need wisdom. Proverbs, Proverbs holds out incredible potential for public life. Chapter 11, verse 10 says that by the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted. So by the blessing of people living wisely, Tallahassee can be made a better place to live. And Proverbs says that our public life should be characterized by two overlapping, nearly synonymous words. Righteousness and justice. To live in public in a way that exalts the city, that lifts other people up, we must live with righteousness, with justice. And so chapter 29, verse 2 says, When the righteous increase, the people rejoice. That should be a goal for our lives. The rejoicing of our community. The rejoicing of our city, of our state, of our nation, of our world through our lives seeking, pursuing justice. So two questions about justice this morning. What is it and how does it happen? First of all, what is it? If you want to understand what Proverbs has to say about justice, you've got to follow the money. You've got to follow what Proverbs has to say about money. And so uh, chapter 16, verse, uh, uh, verse 10, talks about just and righteous scales. And it says those scales are the Lord's. And it says that the weights in the bag are the work of God. 
Now here's the idea there. The idea is that ancient business people would have carried around a bag with various sizes of weights. Because that's how they measured the weight of their product. And the weight of their product determined the price of their product. And as you can imagine, that system was easy to manipulate. It was very easy to trick, to deceive people with the weights. And Proverbs says God cares about that. God cares about fair play in the marketplace. God cares about equity. God is not a fan of systems that, that disadvantage some people and advantage others unfairly. God desires integrity. He desires equity in how people are treated in a society. And so if you follow Proverbs talking about money, you'll find God's deep concern for fairness. And it goes way beyond the economic and the marketplace. But if you continue to follow the money in Proverbs, you'll find not only God's deep concern for economic fairness, you will find God's deep concern for the economically disadvantaged. God's even deeper concern, particular concern for the poor, for those who are vulnerable, for those who sit at the edges and the margins of a society. God is deeply concerned for those people. Chapter 19 says that the one who gives to the poor lends to the Lord. And Proverbs' concern for the poor isn't just about temporary relief. It's not just about giving a little money here and there. You see, in chapter 19, that talks about giving to the poor. Before it talks about giving to the poor, it talks about the relational situation of the poor. And it says that for those in poverty, his, his brother is at a distance from him. His friends are even further from him. And so in Proverbs, poverty is not just an issue of material wealth. It is communal and relational breakdown. And justice seeks to restore, seeks to repair what has been broken. Justice not only protects fairness... It also pursues the full restoration of a community. Full relational restoration. There's that beautiful expression there in chapter 29, verse 13 that we read. And it says, the poor and the oppressor. There's a parallel proverb in, verse, in chapter 22 that says the rich. The poor and the rich. The poor and the and the. The poor and the rich, the poor and the oppressor, they meet together and the Lord gives light to the eyes of them both. That is about a joyful reconciliation between the haves and the haves-nots. Justice seeks not only the protection of fairness, but it pursues the restoration of community. 
injustice draws lines. And it says, you, for whatever reason, you are not worthy of being inside this line. You are not worthy of the protection and the resources of this community. And so in our situation, in our culture, maybe it's because you haven't been born yet. Maybe it's because you've been born in a different place. Maybe it's because you have been born with a darker skin color than mine. But you are not worthy of fair protection. You are not worthy of the resources of this community. And what justice does is it blows that line open. Justice provides avenues in to the resources and protection of a community for those who are most vulnerable. Those who are at the margins. Justice longs for the full restoration of what a community was meant to be. It's like the old British mystery storytelling tradition. You know those old novels and and stories that are still produced on, on PBS every once in a while? Usually those old mystery stories, they're set in a rural community. They're set in a rural town, an idyllic, peaceful group of people that's interrupted, right? It is interrupted, it's disturbed. Relationships are fractured by a shocking crime. And grumpy Miss Marple comes in and 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 finds out the mystery and the, the criminal is uncovered and dealt with. But that's only the penultimate step, right? What happens as a result of the crime being uncovered? The peace of the community is restored. The relationships within the community, those fractures, are overcome. That is the biblical vision of justice. That's the biblical story of justice. Is that humanity began in an idyllic, peaceful garden. It began in harmonious relationships with each other and with God, but that peace has been disturbed. Those relationships have been fractured and God is at work in His perfect justice to restore that peace, to repair those fractures. And to live wisely is to join God in that work. To live wisely is to know and share God's heart for justice. And one of the things that means is that we need to change our posture towards this community and towards the communities in which we are involved. And it means our posture needs to not be self-interested consumption. Our posture must become neighbor-focused concern. That applies to how you vote. That applies to how you work. That applies to how you play. That applies to how you volunteer. The question must not be, how can I get the most out of this place, out of these people? The question must become, how can I contribute in a way that promotes the good, the flourishing, the thriving of my neighbor, and especially those who are most vulnerable. 
How can I share God's heart for peace being restored? And how can I participate in His work to do that? So we're back to what Jesus said to us. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's what should drive your voting. Not your self-concern, but your neighbor-concern. That's what should drive how you participate in the city of Tallahassee. Not your self-concern, but your neighbor-concern. I don't agree with everything that Cornell West says, but when he said that justice is what love looks like in public, he was on to something pretty deeply biblical. For the Christian, the actions of justice are working out, and this is complicated work, all right? This is difficult work, but working out what it looks like for us to love our neighbors as ourselves. To seek a community being restored to what God intends for humanity. To reach out to the most vulnerable, to those that at the margins, and to provide avenues into the protection and the resources of a community. We should long for that. We should have a passion for that. We should consider how we can take steps and actions towards that. But how do we do that? Uh, that is a huge call. Right? That is, it's overwhelming to me. And so how do we do that? How do we live with this kind of love for our neighbor? Second question, how does justice happen? If you want to understand justice in the book of Proverbs, you got to not only follow the money, you also got to follow the power. Because full justice doesn't happen without the king. Full justice doesn't happen without the right king. And so in chapter 31, a mom is talking to her son. And this son is a prince. He's a man who's going to become king of God's people. And she says to him, open your mouth on behalf of the mute. Be the voice of the voiceless. Speak for those who are destitute. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. Without the right king, there is no true justice. Why? Why is the king so essential to justice? Uh, certainly there is a need for authority in any human society, but, but Proverbs following, following the rest of Scripture, it goes deeper, goes to a deeper level. In chapter 16, verse 10, I think it is, it talks about the king opening his mouth. And when the king opens his mouth, what comes out? An oracle. When the king speaks, when he opens his mouth, an oracle comes out. What's an oracle? It's a word from God. More often connected to prophets than it is to kings. And so Proverbs hints that the king can speak on behalf of God. And it goes even further. Chapter 16, verse 15 says that the light of the king's face, in the light of the king's face, there is life. In his favor, his favor is like, it's like clouds that bring the spring rain. 
And you know what that sounds like? That sounds a lot like what the Bible says about God's face. We say it every week. May the Lord's face shine on you. You get the picture? Proverbs is saying there is a king who can speak and act on behalf of God. And so the king is essential for justice because he can potentially speak and act on behalf of the God of justice. If you're doing community Bible reading with us, you know that we are in the book of Judges. And the book of Judges is a narrative of decline. It is God's people descending into moral, political, and spiritual chaos. And there is a refrain at the end of that book that is key to the message of that book. It says several times, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And there was no king in Israel. You see the connection? Moral, political, spiritual chaos. Why? Absence of a wise and just ruler. And then that sets up the very next book of the Bible. The book of Ruth. Which is a narrative of justice. Naomi and Ruth. They are impoverished. They are vulnerable. They are outside. But what happens in that story? Through the partnership of Ruth and Boaz, who is called a just man, who leaves the corners of his field unharvested so he can provide avenues for the poor. Through their partnership, Ruth and Naomi, they are brought back in. They walk back into the protection, to the nourishment, to the resources of God's covenant community. (coughs) And what happens as a result of that partnership? Not only the flourishing of Ruth and Naomi, but a family. A family that ultimately leads to a king. It leads to the birth of King David. The hope of justice. The hope of someone who will speak and act on behalf of the God of justice. But if you follow David's story, if you follow the story of his descendants, there's a problem, isn't there? It's a problem hinted at in uh, chapter 29, uh, verse 26. It says, you can seek the face of the ruler, but a man gets justice from God, from the Lord. And what that's doing is it's pulling out attention. Is pulling out a relationship that should be a relationship of cooperation, but too often becomes a relationship of competition. Because while the kings of Israel should have represented God's justice, they didn't. While human authorities in human society should represent God's justice, they so often don't. We so often don't. So what that story does, and what the book of Proverbs does, is it creates a hunger, creates a need, creates a longing for a better king. And ultimately, it leads us to those opening words of the New Testament. 
which talks about the beginning, the birth of Jesus, the son of David, the further son of Ruth and Boaz, the son of God. You see, if we want the fullness of God's justice, if we want the fullness of the vision of justice in the book of Proverbs, we need the better king. We need the one who not only speaks on behalf of God. We need the one who not only speaks oracles, but he is the oracle, the word of God. He is God's face of favor turned towards us. Jesus not only cared for the poor, but he became poor so that we might be made rich in the grace and mercy of God. Jesus not only resisted injustice, but he suffered injustice. The mark of his kingship is an illegal trial, an ironic purple robe, and a crown of thorns. And death on our behalf. So that he could make a way for us. So that he could pave an avenue for us back to God, back into God's community, the community of His people. If you long for God's justice, you need God's King. And if you are going to participate in God's work of justice even now, you must do so by faith. In God's true King. In God giving Himself to us through His Son Jesus. Now, here's what that doesn't mean. That doesn't mean that people who are not Christians cannot do good work in a community. They can. They absolutely can. It does mean that this ultimate vision of justice, of peace restored, of the fractures created by sin overcome, that can only happen the person and the work of Jesus. And that is happening in those of us who believe in Him. And as we walk by faith out into our city, our lives can become preludes of that eternal music. Long for justice. Pursue Justice. Yeah, we don't get it perfectly now. We don't get anywhere near close to perfect. But continue to seek it. But do so by faith in the one whose face shines on you. The one whose face turns towards you is like clouds that bring the spring rain. And I want to close by mentioning three practical implications of this for our current public life. Okay, Three implications of our faith in Jesus as the true King for our current public life. First of all, always remember, always remember your primary citizenship. Always remember your primary citizenship. Your deepest identity, your highest allegiance isn't to America. Your deepest identity, your highest allegiance 
isn't to a political ideology or to a political party. Always remember your primary citizenship. Philippians reminds us that we are citizens of heaven. We belong ultimately to God's kingdom. We belong to heaven's agenda, heaven's design and desire. And we must always remember that. Please understand, Christian does not equal American. Christian does not equal conservative or liberal or Republican or Democrat. Remember your primary citizenship. And that that relationship, that can get complicated. I understand that. And there are legitimate debates and differences about where and how we should participate in the current political system. But always remember, your highest allegiance is to God and to His kingdom come through His Son, Jesus Christ. Always remember your primary citizenship. Always remember, second, you are not the hero. See, we hear this call for justice, and we get excited, and we want to strap the cape on. And we want to save somebody so that we can feel better about our lives. And you see what we've done? You see what we've done? We've taken ourselves, and we've put us at the center. And instead of looking to him and his concerns and his desires... We are about our significance. I've said this before. I I can't remember where I heard it, but this is true. The spirit of our age is hurry up and matter. And we often attach that to, to issues like issue of justice. And we want to do something big. We want to do something radical so that we can hurry up and matter. Listen, find your significance, not in what you do for people who are in need, Find your significance in the one who made himself poor for you, for your needs. Don't use people's poverty as a setting for your comic book narrative. Don't use people's need as a setting for the story of your significance. Find your significance in him and then ask how you can join in his work. And I'll advise, I'll advise, here's how to start, okay? If you're interested in stepping towards, uh, uh, you know, resistance to injustice or stepping towards ministering to people in poverty, start slow, small, and ordinary. Slow, small, ordinary, because you know what that will do? Is that will allow you to go unnoticed and uncelebrated. And what that will do is it will bring up all those motivations. And it will allow you to wrestle with those motivations with your Savior. Okay? Always remember, you're not the hero. And then third, always remember hope. Cynicism is so easy. I know. It's where I live. Cynicism is so easy. Our system seems to be such a mess at so many levels, doesn't it? If you get engaged with people's needs, you will find out very quickly that that is complicated, that is painful, and it often feels like failure. And so we must remember that we belong to a better king and a better kingdom. And we must always remember hope. 
don't know if you realize this, uh, but there was a little baseball game on uh, Wednesday night. <laughs> and uh, I know some of you are tired of hearing about it. And every pastor in America is going to use the World Series as a sermon illustration this week. So I'm not going to be unique, all right? So you've seen the video right of that last out. It's in slow motion. And as soon as the ball is hit, the Cubs thirst. The Cubs' third baseman, Chris Bryant, he breaks into a smile. And he still has to scoop up the ball and throw it to first base, but he smiles the entire time. As soon as that ball dribbles to him, he starts smiling, and he smiles throughout the whole play. Why? Because he knew the game was over. He knew the game was won. As soon as he saw that ball dribbling towards him, he knew they had won the World Series. That's what it's like to live with hope. That is what it is like to face injustice and to live with hope. Because we can live knowing that the game has been won. We can live knowing the game is over. We can live, even in the complication of caring for people's needs, even in the disturbing political situation in which we find ourselves, we can live with Chris Bryant's smile. Because Jesus, through His death and resurrection, He has defeated evil. He has defeated injustice. He has ascended to His throne. And He will reign and we will reign with Him forever and ever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, would you help us? Many of us, we we just prefer to stick our heads in the sand. We uh, prefer to disappear off the grid, uh, down our own hole, and focus on our needs. And not do uh, the painful work of living in a broken world. Father, would you help us to see and to know Your heart for justice. Your heart for truth, integrity, for fairness, for restoration. Your desire to see that those who have been harmed, those who have been pushed out, to be brought back in. To see humanity restored to our Creator's intent for us. But Father, would you help us not only know your desire for that, but would you help us to rest in your work for that? You have sent your Son to enter more fully into injustice than anyone ever has, to become poor for us. Would you help us to rest in his work? Would you help us to rest in your mercy, your forgiveness, in how we have failed in our compassion, in how we have 
failed in these areas that we have talked about this week? Would you teach us hope? Would you teach us to see and to trust that Jesus is at work and He will finish what He has started? And then would you give us the discernment and the courage to join Him? Would you help us to look around us and to see the needs that are there, to realize that we are insufficient to meet those needs? But trusting in our Savior to step towards a love for our neighbors. Father, would you help us not to trust in human authorities, in political systems? Would you lead us to a deep and abiding hope, trust, and joy in the King that you have given to us in your Son? And we pray in his name. Amen. And would you please stand? respond God's truth his word to us by affirming our faith professing our faith in him let's sing together this adaptation of the apostles creed I believe in God the Father maker of all heaven and earth and in Jesus Christ our Savior, God's own Son of matchless worth, by the Spirit was conceived of the Virgin Mary born. He in whom I have believed, God Almighty, free in one, suffered Pontius Pilate, crucified for me, he died. Laid within the grave so silent, gates of hell he opened wide. For the stone sealed tomb was empty, on the third day he arose into heaven, made his entry. Mighty conqueror of his soul. At God's right hand he is seated till his coming, as he said, Final judgment will be meted to the living and the dead. I confess the Holy Spirit who was sent through Christ the Son to apply salvation's merit, God the Spirit, three in one. I believe the Church of Jesus, universal, there remains. We are one through all the ages in communion of the saints. I believe sins are forgiven, that our bodies will be raised. 
to eternal life and glory, ever let his name be praised. You can be seated. I'm going to pray and we'll continue to worship our God through our tithes and offerings. Let's pray together. Father, would you remind us that we have been brought into your riches And may that make us uh, generous people, uh, not only uh, now, uh, but throughout this week. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give. out of this table that Jesus has given to us, and this is a political table. This is the table of our King, and it is a place where He not only commands us, but He feeds us. He feeds us with His own life. And so I invite you to come hungry for a King. I invite you to come hungry for the life that God has promised to you, and I invite you to find it in His Son. It's a table for those who've been baptized into the church, those who have professed their faith publicly and are living lives of repentance and faith. If you're here and you're not a Christian, we are glad to have you here. We love having you with us. We'd love to have a conversation with you about our faith. Perhaps you won't take this meal with us, but we do pray that you would see the beauty of our King and come to believe in Him. And so join me now. As we approach this great feast, the Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Let's pray. Father, it is right to give thanks and praise because you have shown your love to traitors. We have walked away from you. We have rejected you. We have rebelled against you, our true king. But you and your grace did not consign us to everlasting judgment. But you rescued us. You liberated us. You saved us through your son Jesus. And so would you help us to come knowing our need for a true king. And receiving your gift of your son to us. 
We pray that you would help us uh, to trust that you are present and active as we receive these gifts. We pray that you would nourish our faith, empower us to live lives of love for our neighbors this week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.